All right. Colossians chapter 2. What pastors worry about. <laughs> Colossians chapter 2 in your Bible. I've got some scriptures to go to, but starting in Colossians chapter 2. Um, Paul gets down to business in this chapter. He has pointed out in chapter 1, he has uh, pretty well pointed out that he, part of his ministry is winning people to faith in Jesus Christ. He, just like any, any Christian, he's focused on getting people saved. But another aspect of his ministry was warning. Warning people about false faith, false Christs, and false gospels. Look at chapter 1 and verse 28. Back in chapter 1 and verse 28, he says this, speaking that, whom we preach, speaking of Christ, we preach. What's his first word? Next word, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. One third of the ministry is warning people. You want to encourage people? Amen. But that's, that's only part of the ministry. One of it is you got to warn people that there are some hustlers out there, some, some thieves who will rob you of what you have in Christ. Look in Galatians chapter 1. Go back to the left and find Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. I marvel. What's another word for marvel? I wonder or more. I am amazed that you're so soon, so quickly removed from him that called you unto the grace that is of Christ, unto what? Somebody called you to another gospel. And then he, he says, wait, 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 which is not another. There's not like two or three gospels to choose from. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, Paul says, if I ever came to you and I changed my Doctrine, if we or an angel from heaven came like Moroni and the Mormons, they preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed is another word for damned. Let him be damned. As we said before, so say I now again, I repeat myself, if any man, including himself, if I, or anyone preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be a curse. So, there is Paul warning about false preachers and false gospels. And Paul expresses four things in this chapter. One, he expresses worry. You say, you shouldn't worry. Well, I know, but we do. Secondly, he expresses an encouragement in Colossians chapter 2. He gives a command and then he gives an intense warning. And that's the main point of the chapter when we get into Colossians. So let's read verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 in Colossians. Chapter 2, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. And look at, let's look at Paul's worry here. Colossians chapter 2, and verse 1. For I would that ye knew what great conflict, that's his worry, what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face, face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, 
In this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Now, Paul is expressing a worry, and it is every pastor's worry. It's um, If you're ever in a ministry and you have people that are looking up to you, that you're feeding and you're ministering to, you're going to have this worry. And, and I just say this, most, most people don't know what a pastor worries about. They really don't. A pastor doesn't worry about where the money's going to come from, really. I mean, sometimes on a Tuesday morning, I sit down with Tony, and we just look at each other, and we have a blank stare, because we don't know how we're going to pay the bills. We don't know, and, I, and he just looks at me, and I just go, well, the Lord's going to provide. Because I can't worry about money. I can't. It's not in me. It's just not going to be there, because if I start to worry about money, it'll immobilize me. I'm going to have to trust God. We're going to have to do things and just do them by faith and just do things carefully, do our best. But I don't worry about where money comes from. I don't worry about health, really. I don't worry about people's happiness. You can tell that. <laughs> I don't worry about people's approval. But I do worry about false doctrine coming in. And Paul worried about these precious believers. He worried about them. There in Laodicea, and just like he did in Colossus or in Corinth, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. <clears throat> verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Would to God that ye could bear with me a little in my folly. Now, now what's another word for folly? Foolishness. Um, he's saying, hey, you, you think I'm a little weird. Okay, well, put up with me. And indeed, bear with me. Why? Verse 2 says, I'm acting this way and I'm writing this way because I'm jealous over you, but I'm jealous with what kind of jealousy? With godly jealousy. For I have espoused you. I have prepared you for one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin, a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means, believe me, the devil will use any means at his disposal. As the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he, and it's always somebody else, comes along, if he that cometh preacheth another what? Another Jesus whom we have not preached. Or if ye receive another Spirit, is it possible for a Christian to be duped into looking for and seeking the filling of a demonic spirit? Yes. There are churches that I've been in back when I was unsaved and even after I was saved. I had to get out because the spirit there was not of God. They preach, and if ye, you know, if ye receive another spirit which, we have not, which ye have not received before, or even another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might end up well-bearing with him. You might actually like him and put up with that false teacher. So Paul was worried about false preachers and, and gospels. Look at Galatians now, chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, in verse 19. <clears throat> Galatians 4, 19. My little children... Why would he call believers that? My little children, why would he call them that? They were the product of his work, of his labors, of his preaching. These were his, so to speak, children in the faith. They got saved because of him. And he says, 
my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Wait a minute. He's, he's using a phrase that's related to women. What's the travailing talking about? Like birth pains. What type of agony does a woman go through to bring a life into this world? I can't comprehend it. But Paul says, I think I've got an idea. Because the Galatians, this Galatia was a huge region, a, a huge chunk of, of modern-day Turkey, and the churches were spreading and, and getting started, and it was exciting. But in the same way, they were all shifting in doctrine and going back under a legalistic, under a law-keeping, under a, an oppressive uh, um, uh, doctrine from Jerusalem. And Paul says, I'm panicking, and I'm praying, and I'm agonizing, and I'm trying to help you like a woman trying to give birth. I feel like I'm, I'm doing it all over again with you. Paul was worried about him. Paul was concerned about false doctrine coming in. Chapter 3 and verse 1, still in Galatians, chapter 3 and verse 1, O foolish Galatians. Galatians 3, 1, who hath, what's that word? That's a Bible word. What does it mean to bewitch? Yes, sir? Like casting a spell on? Yes. Um, it's somebody pulling the, rub, the wool over your eyes. He's, 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 he or she is, is um, tricking you into think that, oh, this is good. This is, this is better. To be witched is to be, you know, controlled by an outside force or another force. And Paul says, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you? You knew the gospel, but somebody has bewitched you. I have found that, I, do, not, do not misunderstand me, but I have found that Christians, modern-day Christians, I'm trying not to look at anybody in particular, <laughs> but modern-day Christians are most, some of the most gullible people in the world. It bothers a fire out of me when they shouldn't be. I've been in churches where they are packed with 5,000 people, 10,000 people. I've watched them on the television. I've watched big crusades. There's a big Benny Hinn crusade going up there in Belfast. They will sell out tickets at 40 pounds each. Is that not right, Eric? 40 pounds each, they will sell out. Christians, most gullible people on the planet, that they will believe that that prosperity gospel is the gospel. That bothers me. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to go too far into detail, but there, there are so many different flavors of, of cults. Uh, there are groups out that will try to influence a Christian into thinking that when you got saved, you became sinlessly perfect. Let me tell you, slap them and run, because you're not, folks. Uh, there are people who are so gullible, they'll follow angry preachers on the Internet. And they'll pick up their spirit, and they'll carry it around into Christianity. There are people right now who believe in superior races. There's a guy named uh, 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 Armstrong, not Neil Armstrong, but a guy back in the 1960s, 1970s, he started a cult. He said that the British people, the white guys, the British people were the lost tribes of Israel, and they're superior to all other religions and all other races. That's a cult. You know what the problem is? A lot of Christians bought it. They loved it. 
Christians get dominated by satanic conspiracies instead of God's sovereignty. Amen. I believe the devil's at work. I believe he's working to ruin, and he will pull this world down. But you know what? I don't worry about conspiracies. I worry about one person, that's God, who's in control. Hallelujah. Amen. But Christians are gullible. They'll go, we've got to worry about this. We've got to worry about that. No, you've got to worry about one person. There are Christians who go into legalistic bondage. I have watched Catholics get so sick of the Catholic Church, and then when they get out of the Catholic Church, they fall right into Jehovah's Witnesses. And they start keeping the law, and they start doing all the things, or they get into Seventh-day Adventists, and they try to keep the Sabbath, and they try to keep the law. and they... It's just a shame. You know, there's a, there's a scary... Uh, um, Statistic, and that is that 30% of the Mormon church is filled with Baptists, ex-Baptists. That bothers me. Somehow they got lured into, oh, they have such nice families, and they do. Oh, they, they, they just look so good. <laughs> oh, but look, at, look, they got money, and, and then they get lured into it. Then they get the other extreme, where people... Live as, as they please, since grace abounds, who needs any type of rules? Then you get Christians who accept exhaustive, complex theologies, like hyper-Calvinism. And they think, oh, I, I, I can't understand Christianity, so I'll believe a, a systematic theology of Calvin. Don't believe Calvin, be, believe Christ. Amen, amen, amen. You can learn from him, but don't follow him. And the list goes on and on and on. Folks, Christians are, are usually gullible because they're ignorant. They're ignorant. So Paul takes time to help Christians know. Now, <clears throat> Paul was worried about four things going wrong in Colossae. We read them there. Let's make sure these things aren't going wrong in our church, all right? So go back to Colossians. Let's read this thing. Colossians there. Chapter 2. He says, verse 2, that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love. Um, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, talking about of Christ. Now there are four things uh, that he talks about and he, he'll, he'll bring out in a few minutes but the first thing, he's worried that these believers were unsettled in their faith. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Ephesians 4, 14. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. What the, how does, I love how the Bible describes some things. What's the wind of doctrine describing? What is it picturing to you? Come on, raise your hand. Somebody, yes? Okay. You ever seen in your back garden there, you, have, you get your wall and you get some leaves blowing around. What direction are they blowing? Every direction. Every wind of doctrine. You know, when you lose your anchor and you don't know what to believe, you will fall for everything. Amen. So he says, don't be like children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. Where, do you, where have you ever heard the word slight used for? Used. 
like a magician. You know, the magician goes, nothing here, and nothing there, and he goes, nothing here. <laughs> and in the sleight of hand, he, he, he fools. Well, don't be fooled by the sleight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Romans 14.5 says, let every man be fully persuaded. Be full. You better know what you believe and be fully persuaded. Don't just, I mean, you need to anchor some things and settle some things. Is that book right or not? Is the King James Bible the Word of God for the English-speaking people? Or are you just going to read from translation? There is a new perversion out there called the Passion Bible. I'm ashamed to even try to read it to you because it reads like, just like a romance novel. It's a Bible? Listen, when you start down the road of, oh, it doesn't matter what version, you won't even, you, you'll stop reading your Bible. You need to have, uh, Paul was worried that they were unsettled in their faith, that they weren't knit together in love. Look in chapter 3, they're Colossians, chapter 3 and verse 14. <clears throat> 3, 14, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the what? Okay. So something will hold us together even when everything else is pulling us apart. What is it? Love, charity, selfless love. Paul was worried that these believers weren't being knit together in love. You ever been to a stadium and there's 80,000 people there? They're there for the beer. They're there for the entertainment. They're there for the score. But as soon as it's over, they go home. You know, a lot of churches, people come in because it's babysitting for their kids. Yeah, free babysitting because it's a, a food night, because it's a, uh, they got entertainment going on, they got a new band, then they go home. You know what church is? People who are knit together like a family in love. Paul was worried that this church was becoming just a spectator sport. He said, first of all, third of all, he said that they weren't experiencing all the riches of full assurance and confidence, but were plagued with doubts. You know what the Bible says on Psalm 119, verse 160? Thy word is true from the beginning. So some smart talking uh, guy gets on TV and he says, billions and billions of years ago, evolution, and, and he sounds so smart. All of a sudden, you start looking at the Bible and you go, well, maybe the Bible is not true. No, the Bible is true from the very first verse. You're going to have to decide, and, and a problem with a, with a pastor is, we've had the kids, we've watched the teenagers, where John has poured his life into them, and we've, I've preached, and we've taken them, and we've gone to camp, and we've had Bible camp, and we've had everything we can, and then as soon as they hit college, pfft. how's that happen? Some smooth-talking teacher up there, some professor gets up there and says, the Bible, it's just myth, and they fall apart. It bothers me. It hurts me, because what happened? Well, that's a pastor's worry. The people don't know the joy and the riches of having assurance. That book's right. You know what science is finally doing? Catching up. Everything in that Bible is advanced revelation, at least 500 years. You know, I read a, I read a, a book. Um, uh, it's by, um, um, uh, by a company called Scientific American Magazine. And um, it's called The Cosmos and the Universe and all this stuff. And I'm reading in there... Uh, after I got saved, I'm reading in there, and I just finished reading Isaiah. I was about 17 or 18 years old. 
and I'm still into astronomy, still am, but not as much. I don't have time. But I'm reading in there, and I read in Isaiah, it says, Thou stretcheth out the heavens like a curtain. And I'm reading in there, back in uh, 1981, 1982, it says, Scientists are finding out that the universe is spreading out like a curtain. <laughs> all the stars are all, it'd be like having a crumpled up curtain and all the stars there, and space itself is stretching out. The Bible was already 2,700 years ahead of the game. Amen. That's, that's from an atheistic evolutionary um, publication. I still have it. And there it is underlined, they finally caught up with the Bible. Play with doubts. You know, a lot of people are, uh, I listened to, uh, I watched Joel Osteen. He has been asked about six times, is Jesus the only way to get to heaven? Joel Osteen, how many know who he is? Shame on you. Anyway, <laughs> no. He was asked, is Jesus the only way to get to heaven? A guy named Larry King was famous for asking that question to every Christian. Joel Osteen had this to say over and over. He says, I don't claim to understand who's all going to heaven. I just believe and teach in all my messages that when you have a relationship with Christ, that is the guarantee from heaven. I just, what, what, is, what did you just say? People don't all believe like me. <laughs> they all see it bigger. I believe God's mercy is very big. I thank God that I'm not the judge of who gets to come. <gasps> hey, you know what that guy just did? Put doubt in everybody's listening to him. A lot of people don't experience the full and rich assurance and confidence that Jesus is coming again. I mean, it ought, to, it ought to just shake you to the core where you get up every morning and you look out that window and go, even so come today, man. I mean, it ought to be so in you that you say, I believe it, and I'm sure of it. Hey, does the gospel, does the preaching of the gospel still save sinners? You need to believe that. You need to have assurance that will never, ever improve on that. There's security in Christ. Hey, you know how simple it is to get saved? Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Just believe it, and it's done. You know how simple it is to stay saved? It's even simpler. You can't stay saved. He keeps you saved. But people always, I wonder if I committed the unpardonable sin. <laughs> I, I wonder if I've lost it. For most Paul's worry and every pastor's worry is he's got a crowd, and you know, the more people, the more to worry about. They, they're plagued with doubts. They don't know what they ought to know. They don't know it to be sure. And then lastly, worst of all, that some man or some woman today, and I'll get more on this next week, is going to rob them. And there are some wicked, wicked hustlers who wear collars and wear the suits, and they go on television, and they have churches, and they have, um, uh, uh, I would say harvests. They do. They, they harvest the money. And um, they have... Uh, um, uh, big meetings, and all they are is they're robbing Christians, left, right, and center, blind. Paul says it, look at uh, chapter 2 and verse 4, Colossians 2 and verse 4, he says, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. What does beguile mean? It's another, it's like bewitched, but beguile. Trick, deceive. You know what a mugger does? 
a mugger comes along and, and brushes you on this side, and you look over that way, and he's got your wallet walking away that way. That's beguiling. That's a robbery. That's a mugging. You don't have to be beat up to be stolen from. All you got to be is distracted. Acts 20, verse 28. Go to back, Acts chapter 20, and verse 28. Here's Paul, and he's talking to the, to the pastors and to the ordained elders there at Ephesus. It was a huge church, and Paul says this, Take heed therefore unto yourselves. Hey, watch out for yourselves, gentlemen, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to fleece the church of God. Is that what it says? I'm afraid most guys who get in the ministry only know how to make money off the ministry. Paul says, feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among who? Among you preachers, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. And it, I can't tell you how grieving it is to watch, and, and, and I have, I have, Personally, led people to Christ, disciple them, and watch some sucker, some, some, not sucker, some snooker, snooker? That's not right. That's not a word. Somebody who can snooker. <laughs> some, some hustler. Some creep. Amen. Thank you very much. But he's a smooth-talking creep. Come in and capture their attention and focus on them on one little simple doctrine and focus on them and tear them away. And I watch them go. You say, you mad? Mm, Try not to be. Because somebody came, and you say, well, was that, it's bad for that person because I'm watching them. They're believing a lie. They're falling away. They're, they're, they're believing a new gospel. I have watched people go from believing on Christ to believing they got to keep the Sabbath, believing they can lose their salvation, believing that they got to be perfect to keep right with God, all this stuff. And you go, I didn't teach you that. Bible did. I'm not perfect, but you better watch out for some guy who's a better talker a better looker, and there's not many of them, and a, and a, and a, and a, and a person who's got better um, uh, presentations and, and uh, got, the, got the following, and he's got the name, and he's got the, the, the doctorate degrees. Better watch it. All of the above, in opposite, is how a church ought to be. The natural outgrowth of a church is Christians ought to be settled in their faith. Amen. You know, I, Pastor, you ever doubted your salvation? I've never one day doubted whether I was saved since I got saved. See, that's amazing. I don't know why. I'm not that smart. I, don't, I can't put all the numbers and everything together. I just tell you this. I knew what happened when I got saved, and I knew that I believed the Bible. And I wasn't going to deviate from that. And I've never had a time where I started to judge my salvation by my feelings. I never judged my salvation by my performance. I judged my salvation by the book. And the book said Jesus did it all, and I've never doubted it. You know, you ought to have a settled faith, amen? That ought to be the natural outgrowth of your salvation. The natural outgrowth is that Christians get together and just love each other. I don't care. I don't care how much somebody hurt you or somebody didn't say something to you, somebody offended you, somebody in your face stabbed you. Bible says you have to love them. 
Amen. You have to. Say, well, can I tell them off? Yeah, you can tell them off, but then you got to say, I forgive you anyway. <laughs> Amen. And then, boy, we ought to all be experiencing the riches of full assurance. I mean, you know, I gave you that, that, uh, that illustration of that tightrope walker. You know, when I got saved, I wasn't afraid of anybody. I took gospel tracts. I was handing out to the biggest guys. We called them jocks. It wasn't a fresh word. It simply was a sports a guy in sports and football. And I gave those things out, not afraid of anybody. Not afraid of anything. You ought to have such full assurance that the Bible's right and Jesus is coming back and it could be today and people are lost and I need to be busy. And you just go and you're not afraid of anything. You ought to have full assurance and that you'd never let anybody rob you of what you got in Christ. Wouldn't it be a shame sit in church for years? and then get bored, and then get on the internet, and then get taken away. What a shame. You know what my worry is? That would happen to you. Now Paul gives some encouragement back there in Colossians. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 5. Colossians 2, 5 says, For though I be absent in the flesh. Remember, had Paul ever seen the Colossians? Yes or no? He never met them. But he says, though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. He's, he's encouraged and his, he tries to encourage them. You know how he encouraged them? Because they were under attack. They had false teachers coming in. And you know he does? He wrote to them. I don't know if a letter encourages you, but it encourages me. I don't know if a little card, somebody just says, I prayed for you today. I sure do love you. I don't know what that does for you, but it sure encourages me. Amen? So Paul says down, takes time. Where is Paul probably at the time that he's writing the book of Colossians? Is he on the Riviera, resting his feet up on the beach, sipping a, an iced tea? What's he doing? He's in prison. He's trying to encourage God's people that he'd never met before. He cared about people he'd never seen before because they were family. And Paul says, you know, when you're having church, I'm there with you. Now, I can't explain it all. I don't even want to try to. But let me, let me first deal with, he wrote to them. You know, Proverbs 8 says, um, Hear, my son, the instruction of a father. And, and, and I can't remember what the half, last half of it says, rejected not or, or whatever like that. But he, he's... He's saying, listen to me, I'm trying to help you. So Paul takes time to try to help them. Then he says, I'm standing with you even though I'm not there. Now it's encouraging when people say, you know, I'm with you. I can't stand with you right now, but you've got my vote. I am with you in prayer. I'm in the same direction as you. To be with someone in spirit is a great connection. And believers have it. Nita and I have been in, I remember years ago, we were in... Um, Tesco there at Paul Street, and it was, it was evening time. We had the kids with us, and we're walking around, and there's this couple there, and I just said, I bet they're saved. Nita looked at me and went, what? I said, I'm just telling you, that couple's saved. I'm going to go give them a gospel track, and I bet you they're going to say they're saved already. So I went up there, and I gave them a gospel track, and I says, you guys, you guys uh, ever read a gospel track? You know where you're going when you die. We're born again. I went, I knew it. <laughs> 
And there's no way to tell it. There's just a sense there. Anybody ever pick that up like that? Now, I don't trust that thing, but there's some time where you just go, I just got this sense. And Paul had a spiritual connection. We do. Uh, you know, it'd be like going to France, okay? Let's just be rude here for a second. And you know, the French know, Eng know how to speak English, but they don't. <laughs> so there you are, you're in France, and nobody will speak English to you, and then you see somebody, and they're Irish. And you go, I got a connection here, and all of a sudden you can talk to them. You know, that's just what it is when you get around Christians. There's a connection there. You talk the same language, you have the same heart. And Paul says, I enjoy knowing you're there and you're steadfast and you're... Paul just, just tried to encourage them. I stand with you. And then he goes on and he says, I want to remind you of the power of the gospel. I just, I just am impressed, he says. Though I'm, I, I'm with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. That's the gospel. You guys just believe Christ. You know what Romans 1.16 says? Who can quote Romans 1.16? It was our memory verse last year. No, it was memory verse January this year. Romans 1.16. Who can say it? Neither. It says, um, for I am not ashamed. Yes. Amen. Amen. It is the power of God. You know, sometimes I need to be reminded that the gospel has the power, not me. I can get up. I don't normally do it because I try to keep you awake. But you know, a monotone, boring preacher is better than anything on television if he's preaching the gospel. Amen. Because it's not my powers of persuasion. It's not the way I raise my voice in my hand. I mean, here's, uh, where's Mona here? Mona, put your hand up. Where are you? Mona's in, in the back there. I mean, this morning, Mona was just going at it, amen? I said, you know, she, I'm glad she's not a preacher, amen? She starts raising her hand, I'll have to get up and push her down there. <laughs> but you know, it's not, in the, it's not in us to get anybody saved. What gets people saved? That gospel right there, amen? You need to be reminded of it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 18, it's not in the baptism. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. For the preaching is to them that, are, that perish is foolishness, is craziness. But to us which are saved, what is it? It's the power of God and the salvation. So he reminds them of their faith in Christ and the power of that faith. And then he talks about three mysteries. And I mean, they're mysteries to the world, but he says there in, where are we? Let me find my spot here. Three mysteries. Ah, verse, the end of verse 2. To the acknowledgement of the mystery of, first of all, of God and of the Father and of Christ. You know what all those mysteries had to deal with? That God is not hiding from this world. You know what people think? Where is God? You know what Paul says in Acts chapter 17? He's not very far from any one of you. That's a mystery to people. Where was God when my dad died? Where was God when my sister had tuberculosis? Where was... He was not far from any of you. That's a mystery to people. And we know the answers to that mystery. You know, since I get saved, I mean, uh, there's Andrew. Andrew would tell you the reason why he got saved was, it was God breaking him when his sister died. 
And it was him searching, saying, where's the answer? Where is God? And it drew him to Christ, and he got saved. I don't think he worries about where God was anymore. I don't think God's a mystery to him anymore. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? The mystery of God is that God's not hiding from this world. But the mystery of the Father is that the Father became a son and reconciled the world unto himself by himself. Is that cool or what? See, God didn't need a prophet. God didn't need a good man. God didn't need a, um, a, uh, uh, um, uh, a well-educated and uh, money man or whatever. He needed himself to become a man so that as a mediator, he as a man, the man Christ Jesus, could die and reconcile the world unto himself. It's all of God. And then the, the, the mystery of, of, of Jesus, that the Gentiles would be, by Jesus, would be welcome into the beloved. You know what Jesus did? He's the door, and he opened the door to all the riffraff. <laughs> all the lowest of the low. He invited us in, amen, into the beloved. Three great mysteries that can be known. I mean, that's encouraging. And the last thing, that Jesus Christ is the source of all treasures. All treasures. Go to Colossians, uh, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God, God's doing, he has made unto us four things. He says he's wisdom, and that means greater wisdom than Solomon. Amen. He's made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, if you're going to glory, let him glory in who? In the Lord. All the treasures that can ever be found are in Jesus Christ. And the, the queen of the sciences used to be known as what? Does anybody remember? Theology. You know what? I can study dirt. <laughs> I can study rocks. I can study animals and bugs. But that's nothing compared to studying the designer of dirt and the designer of life and the designer of laws and of order in the universe. That's the queen of sciences. All the treasures that can ever be had as a person are found in Jesus Christ. I'll give you an example. When I was <clears throat> young, my, dad, my granddad died when I was 19 years old. And I really believe with all my heart that the, the, the greatest, the best man I ever knew in my life was my grandfather. Ah, I'm not sure if he was ever saved. He never gave me a testimony of salvation. I asked him. He actually, every morning from 6.30 till 7, every morning, he read his Bible. But when I asked him about, are you born again? He said, mm, I leave that to God. And I thought, wow, that's a weird answer. <laughs> you know, when I got to sit down with my grandfather, I felt like he was a treasure trove of information, of connection, of wisdom, and, and of life. He, one time I said, Granddad, I'm going to be an astronaut. And he looked at me and said, what would you be like that for? Well, I, I want to go to the moon. He says, there's no air on the moon. I said, really? Well, I got spacesuits. He says, then what are you going to do? Oh. And he would talk like that. He'd go... And I said, then when I go to the moon, I want to go to Mars. And he said, what would you go there for? Oh, so I can, I can go looking for life. He says, there's plenty of it here. And he would talk like that. But I'm, I'm being kind of 
short and flippant, but he was so wise. And he'd just sit down, he'd take time, and he'd talk to me. And we'd talk and discuss. I drew out one time a big five-foot-long android. Don't, don't bother. But it was this thing. I laid out, and I said, these are all the mechanisms. These are the, the, um, uh, the motors that will guide his, his feet. Uh, his, his feet will be uh, omnidirectional, so he can walk backwards, and he can walk forward. And he has a stomach that, when you put food in it, it will burn it up and incinerate it. And all. I had all this laid out, and he looked at me and said, Craig? I said, yes, Granddad? He said, it's uh, very nice. <laughs> you call that an android? And you want to build that someday? I'd like to build that someday. He looked at me and he said, hmm, you want to go for a walk? And we go for a walk and we say, look what God made. Now my granddad, again, I don't know if he ever got saved or not, but he would just, he didn't, he didn't go, that's the stupidest thing I ever saw in my life. <laughs> but he said, let me show you life. Now I didn't get it. I still was stuck on my ideas and stuff like this. My point is this. You know, the treasure, I wish I had my granddad back. I lost him too early because he was a treasure trove of level-headedness. Amen? Jesus is a treasure trove of everything that's good in your life. Then Paul gives a command. Look at verse 6. Colossians chapter 1, we'll wrap this up. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in the faith, in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. We'll talk more about this next week. I'll pick this up, but let me just say, he gives a command. He says, go back to when you got saved. How did you get saved from the wrath to come? Do you remember? Was it works of righteousness which we have done? Was it long prayers? Was it keeping the law? No. You know what it was? Receiving Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 says, As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. You know what you receive Jesus like? Like a child receives Jesus. You just run into his arms and he takes you up and you're there. It, 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 there's nothing complicated. There's no fancy prayers, no fancy altars, no fancy acts of contrition. It's just you and Jesus. So, in the same way that you got saved, as ye therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, in the same way that you got saved, you should continue to live. That, that, that moment, that impossible eternal event that happened in your life ought to be the way you live from now on. You ought to enjoy your Christian life. Paul says, in the same way that you got saved is the way that you live. You need to receive every day as a priceless gift from the same God that gave you His Son. Amen. You need to step back and go, you know what? If He gave me son, His Son, how much more shall He give me all things richly to enjoy, Paul says. When you got saved, who would you have your attention on? Yourself? On the priest? On your mama? Who would you have your attention on? On Jesus Christ. You know how to live your life? Keep your eyes on Him, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And just trust Him. Then He goes on and He says, let that relationship grow. He describes it two ways. He says, with roots and with growth, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. 
Let that relationship grow. Let it, let it grow deep in your life. Too many Christians, now I'm glad you're here. I'm, I'm calling the kettle black. I'm preaching to the choir, I know. But there are too many Christians in our church who are superficial. Amen. They'll be here on a Sunday morning, but on a Sunday night they go, I don't need to go. Are you serious? Uh, you know all these trees that were knocked down just in the last two weeks over that ex-hurricane? You know why they all not got, got knocked down? Did you see them all peeled over? Did you see what was underneath when the, when the grass was pulled up? What was underneath those tree trunks? Nothing. No roots at all. Why do we have church Sunday night? Why do we have Bible study on Wednesday? Why do we say read your Bible every day? Why do we say, why do we ask and, and encourage everybody to work so hard to know what's in that book? Why? Because you need roots. You need to let it permeate your thinking and your life and your love and your, and your plans. Let that relationship grow downward and upward. Amen. You know how you know you're, you need revival? If you're not as excited as you used to be. If Christ is not sweeter now than he was before. You need to look at your life and go, you know, if I've gotten cold, I haven't let the roots go further. I haven't grown stronger. I've grown smaller. I've grown weaker. I need revival. Let that relationship grow. Would you just let it grow? You say, how do I grow? How do, I mean, how do you grow? You tell the kid, now this is how you grow. They, they just naturally do if you feed them, amen? <laughs> so feed and grow. Stop hindering the growth. And then lastly, abound with what? What a wonderful word. If I asked you tonight, I says, you can't leave until you're thankful for five things. We'd be here all night waiting on some of you. Uh, I can only think of two things. What? What does that word abound mean? Hmm? Have lots, abundant thanksgiving. You know what Paul's trying to do? He's trying to get their eyes off of a fancier gospel, a fancier preacher, a fancier doctrine that seems better than what they got. And Paul says, you got nothing better than Jesus Christ. You ought to be grateful. Let me give you a quiz real quick. Next week I'm going to talk to you about Paul's warning, and it is serious about philosophy and about how we're snookered. But concluding questions, six questions. Number one, a big Paul, part of Paul's ministry was, and I'll give you two, but what was the second one? What was the big part of Paul's ministry? Warning. Warning that there are hustlers out there. <laughs> How many of you have ever seen Lucille Ball show? Do you remember the Lucy, Lucy, you know, Lucy and Ricky Ricardo? All right. What was so funny was she would believe any salesman that came to the door Oh, this Hoover here, this vacuum is exactly what you need. you got an old act vacuum there. Listen, let's trade it out. And she would be a sucker for buying stuff. You know what? It, when Ricky would come in, i got to teach you to have sales resistance. And, and he would warn her about salesmen coming through. I have to warn you about Internet today. One of the, I've talked to a lot of different pastors and missionaries, especially here in Ireland. You know what they all say? We should have warned our people about that Internet 10 years ago. We thought we were, but we didn't know just how easily they're being snookered. Secondly, what was Paul's main worry? Hmm? His children, but what about them? I gave you four things. That they were unsettled in their faith. What else? Yes, um, that, um, that they could be... That they could get into looking for another spirit. Exactly. 
he was worried that the Christians were only getting together and not learning to love one another. He was worried that believers weren't experiencing all the riches of full assurance. And he was worried that some man or some woman was going to beguile them. How did Paul encourage the believers he had never seen? He wrote to them. He took time to, let me help you. Let me tell you what you should be doing. Um, he stood with them, both in spirit. He couldn't go with them in flesh. He reminded them of the power of the gospel itself, and he reminded them of the source of all treasures. Don't ever be, be enamored by something more beautiful. I mean, if, if tomorrow we lost the opportunity to be in here and we had to meet or in homes or whatever, don't say, well, I don't want to go to church in pastor's home or in Dan's home or in, in Eric's home. Mm, you, want to, you, want, you want to go to church because we got a building? What are some of the treasures in Christ Jesus? Gave you four things. There's at least 20. What are some of the treasures? Wisdom. Our clean life is found in Him. Sanctification. Righteousness. All the righteousness I'll ever need are in Him. What's the last one? In redemption. I'm going to heaven, folks. How about you? That's a treasure. How does anyone get saved from the wrath to come? Believe, receive Jesus Christ. Just, just take him, amen? I've been at the door, and I've looked at someone, and I says, you don't understand that, do you? So I pull out a 20-euro note, and I says, you want this? <laughs> and all of a sudden, they go, I right, go like this. When does it become yours? And they look at me, uh, I said, just take it. I want it back. <laughs> but the point is, they can't believe that it's that simple, that Jesus Christ has been offered to the world if we just receive it. All right? How does any Christian live, then? The very same way. Just take everything as a gift. You didn't earn it. Everything in your life, good or bad, came from the hand of God. Amen. What should a believer abound in? Last thought. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Father, we've had a time here to sort of let Paul warn a church up in Colossae and prepare them for his warning, really. Maybe we need to take heed to what is being said as well, that Are we settled in our faith? Do we know what we're even supposed to believe? Not a catechism. It's the Bible. And yeah, there are some things hard to be understood. That's given. But wow, there are some things that ought to be so set and unchangeable. The simplicity that's in Christ should never be improved on. Lord, the simplicity of our love for one another the power of bonding by that love. Lord, would you please um, let us have listening ears tonight so that going out of here tonight, we'd realize that there are some dangerous forces at work. And, and maybe they won't affect us, but they're going after our children. And if we're not careful, then you go after the the new Christians. And I, I, I am burdened, Lord, I'm worried that the devil doesn't just play. He knows our weaknesses. He knows where to strike. He knows who to strike. He knows how to bring the strongest down. Lord, would we just take it very serious? We've got to be stronger. We've got to take it serious that this war is for keeps. 
And as a church, we don't want to fall into the dust of history. We want to make an impact. We want to be a lighthouse. Lord, we want to have a faithfulness that lasts until you come. In Jesus' name, amen.